the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. It's April 10th, and unfortunately we're doing a season in review, post-mortem, whatever you want to call it. Um, Literally no home hockey games in April this year in Dallas because the final three were on the road. So the the state of Texas will go April, May, June, July, August, September, good six months without a professional NHL game on the ice. I guess preseason starts September, but um, kind of frustrating that we're having this uh, conversation today and probably even, uh, I mean, I know it was, I'm, you and I are obviously aren't the only people frustrated, so I guess we'll start right there. Season wrap up for the athletic the other day, but it's not like this is not par for the course. So, I mean, it's something we're kind of used to now and Maybe that's the frustrating part about it, that it's kind of the norm. I mean, it's it's frustrating regardless of the situation, but the fact that it's the norm and when you're looking back on the season, the way that we kind of talked about it to start, the way things were looking after, you know, about just under two-thirds of the season, uh, things were looking good. But here we are in basically the same place that we were a year ago. So that's fun. And this is a, uh, I'm not sure what, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll pose this question to you. I mean, it's, when you're, when you're ranking misery, when ranking misery is never fun, but I'm not sure what hurts. I mean, last year you could look at, injuries hurt a lot last year, Uh, but last year we knew, the Stars were sellers at the trade deadline, we knew they were basically... They basically waved the white flag last year with, I believe it started with the Patrick Eves trade last year. This year, if they had just gone 500 in the final 20, final, uh, final 16 games, they're a playoff team. Not even 500. Um, they finished four, uh, three points out of what would have been a playoff spot. And really, if they could just, you go back and we could go through and pick two or three games where X, Y, or Z could have happened, and they're a playoff team. I mean, this was one of the, uh, my colleague at The Athletic, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name, Dom, did a story at the time how the Stars' collapse was the worst statistical collapse in the salary cap era. They had 80 points after 66 games. In In the cap era, no team has ever missed the playoffs when they've had that many points after 66 games. This was a colossal collapse. And it's one of those where, as we start to look back and diagnose this, it's something that, while it, the collapse is what caused it, you start to think this is something that probably, we, we, if we had better foresight, we would have noticed it coming into it a little bit more. There was factors that kind of painted the picture of this happening sooner than it, that this might happen. And uh, who knows, maybe even if they were a playoff team, we'd be looking at a quick four-game sweep with how they'd been playing. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm obviously... Everything fell apart during that eight-game losing streak. But my, my point is, and I wrote a little bit about this this week, obviously, is there were factors, there was groundwork. The collapse, the foundation of the collapse is probably laid in the in games 50 through 66 leading up to that. Um, maybe even earlier, if you look at player usage, you look at 
um, inability for younger players to, whether that's based off opportunity or based off um, their own merit, we can debate and discuss that. There was never, they never really developed into a true depth scoring that a team, that a playoff team would need. Um, there's a lot to look at here with this team. I mean, because it's, it's the eight games is the big exclamation point and the reason that well, they're out. At least from my but there, there's more than the there's, there, there's more to it thing than about that. this whole last six weeks or so, because this is the type of collapse that starts sweeping that typically would start sweeping changes within an organization. I mean, but at the same time we're sitting at it, it, I'm sitting here and I'm not, I mean, obviously disappointed, but I'm not sitting here. It's something that like having, I think having watched this team in person, the second week of March back-to-back games when they lost to Montreal and Toronto, just the way that they played, it was just, they looked flat. And I think from at least my perspective, that was the point where I was kind of sitting there thinking, one, this isn't a playoff team. Two, if this team somehow gets into the playoffs, they're going to get their clocks cleaned by Nashville in the first round. So it's not like, you know, it, it, it goes into that situation where is it better to make it and get, creamed in the first round or not make it at all and then not have that disappointment from that. So, I mean, I, I guess it just depends on your perspective, but I don't know if it's not sunk in or if I just stop emotionally investing myself into it soon enough that the last couple weeks of the season, it wasn't like, I, I always got a kick out of Owen tweeting out the playoff scenarios every other day. Like, well, this can happen now and this can happen. I was like, dude, dude, I'm not setting myself up for that because I know it's not going to happen. So I feel like I kind of... Owen's an optimist. Don't uh, don't hurt anyone for optimism. People, the world, the world needs more optimists in general. So don't, don't, don't rip on anyone for being an optimist. But yes, it's... uh, and it's also, I mean, also, those were facts, too. Statistically, that's what had needed to happen for the Stars no, to get I, in, no true, matter how uh, unlikely they were. Because I'm naturally a pessimistic person. But I, it, it's one of those things that I think, I don't remember if we talked about this the last podcast or if I was just talking about this with someone in general, if it was just me talking with you randomly, that looking at the college hockey tournament, Minnesota on the last weekend of the season needed six things to fall the exact right way for them to miss the yeah. tournament. And those exact six things happened. So, I mean, yeah. And and then the benefactor was on the flip side, the team that won the NCAA title, Minnesota Duluth needed six things to fall for them right. to get so in you're looking perfectly. The point view, and I'm they got in oh, and man, they won Dallas a title. Then they're going to get like. clobbered by Nashville in the first round. And the optimist can say, well, at least they're in the playoffs and you know, anything can happen. We've seen crazy things happen before. So, I don't know. It's just, there's been, we've, I feel like we've hashed out the disappointing finishes the stars have had before. So there's not really a need to do that again, but this one, I don't know Mm -hmm. why it just doesn't feel the same. And I don't know if that's just because when it started happening, I default went into here we go again mode. I know what this means. I'm not going to get worked up over it. Yeah, I haven't gone through and um, I haven't gone through and done done dug through it yet. I, I think I'll ha- I'll have to eventually. Um, of the ten years, 
Um, if you take away Vegas, because Vegas obviously is, this is their first playoff appearance, but I'd be interested to go back and dig through the 10 years, in the 10 years during this stretch for the Stars, where they've made the playoffs twice in 10 years, they've got one series win in 10 years. Um, I'd be interested to see where that ranks in all by all 30 teams in the NHL. Because you even think, like, there was the year Arizona made a run to the conference uh, conference finals one year. So even the bad teams now, there's been... Um, They've had they've had that cup of coffee or that 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 Cinderella run in them, uh, and now I'm not I'm sure the Stars fans don't want us to go down the misery index, but I'd be hard. Pre- I mean, I don't know. I was going to say I don't know. Has, Buff- has Buffalo won a series in the past ten years? Nice and just go through this in real time right now. I don't know if Buffalo has. I don't. I don't even remember the last time Buffalo made the playoffs, so I can't. I mean, they had the period. I don't remember exactly when that period was when they had Briere Drury. Thomas Vanek. I don't remember if that was pre-lockout or just immediately post-lockout, but I don't know that they've really done much the last 10 years off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I'm not... I don't, I, think, I don't think Dallas... I'm sure there's teams that have won zero series, but I'm sure Dallas is definitely in the bottom five or six, maybe. Um We'd have to. That would that would require us to go through way more research than I'd like to do I mean, right now. But either way, it's, it's not a fun misery right index for Stars fans. I can um, pretty much guarantee, if we're not counting Vegas, I can pretty much guarantee you the only teams that might give Dallas a yeah. run for that would be Winnipeg, Edmonton, and... Yeah, well, so there's. I know Winnipeg. I know Winnipeg I, has never won a series. I do know that. Pretty safe, and I mean yeah. Edmonton as well, because Edmonton that was the first time they made the playoffs in God knows how long last year. Edmonton was, was what they reached the. Long. When did they? What year did they no, lose to Carolina no, that was in the 0, final? Five or oh six, but it wasn't in the last ten years. Was that oh six? I think. I think it was. I think. I think it was oh six because oh. Yes, 0304 oh, was, was the lock. No, 0405 was the lockout. 06 was Carolina, I believe. Yeah. And then, yeah, then 06, Carolina beat Edmonton. So that's still, uh, that's. Um, but then I don't know if. Calgary's <laughs> I mean, if you look so. just, I mean, Arizona had that one year where they were really good. Vancouver made their run to the cup finals a couple of years ago. So that automatically puts mm-hmm. them above. Chicago, obviously. St. Louis went further than Dallas last year. So. You can put that in there as well. The Kings obviously have a couple cups. Uh, Colorado, I don't know off the top of my head. That might be a little... That one could be something else that we're talking about. Um, San Jose made a run last year. Uh, Anaheim, I feel like they've made a couple. Minnesota, I'm not sure on off the top of my head. That's, yeah, well, Anaheim, right. Anaheim I, has made the Anaheim has beat the Stars. If you want to, if you want to think the director, and, right. and, and they've I, also they've I also made the playoffs like seven out of the eight years, last eight years. So, at least in the Western Conference, I feel like there may only be three other teams that are in Dallas's situation, without looking into it at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah, but I, either way, it's not a good misery index, um, and. I mean, and now we've reached it's 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 frustrating because we're at the point of hockey season where this could have been this could have been a really fun if the Stars were a playoff team and even if they didn't win 
obviously winning the Stanley Cup is the ultimate goal and would be the most fun scenario, but this could have been actually a fun couple months of hockey. Say the Stars only say the Stars won around and made it to the second round and lost. There would still be some excitement. The drafts here. It would have been a fun hockey summer, for lack of a better word. Um, and now it's kind of we're waiting all of April, all of May. We're basically waiting a little under three months for the yeah, draft, if my math of, is right. All of May. I think so. Your math might not be right. I think it's two it's a, it's like two months. It's like two months. Just over two months. Basically uh, it's a little, it's a little over two months, right? Because all of three yeah, weeks of April, weeks. three weeks of June, and all of May, a little bit over two months, something like that. Clearly, math is not the strong suit of this program, um, but uh, it could have been fun. Draft will be here; that at least will be fun. Um, stars um, are in the draft lottery again. That's April twenty eighth. If you want to look at it optimistically, last year the team that had the 13th best odds actually moved up to second. If you want to look at it pessimistically, there's no way that happens in back-to-back years. <laughs> and uh, so maybe, and uh, I guess the Stars hopefully will send Rich yeah, Peverly to well. the draft lottery uh, again because that seemed to work last year. All right, where do you want to go from here? We got a lot of we got a lot of things to talk about. Um, I'll let you. Well, uh, I I'll in let preparation you for this, I listened to Jim Mills all twenty one minutes of his postseason comments, where he basically didn't really answer a single question. He answered a couple, but he didn't. He did his best to not answer any questions about the team direction. I learned. I learned nothing from the his postseason comments. I mean part of that also becomes I had had that and I'm not I'm, I'm not sure if you read the QA. I had had the QA with him uh, two I days might prior. Have, I don't remember. Um, that we that was on the athletic. So yeah. Um, and I got more from that QA with him than I did with anything from that. Um, Jim is does a very good job of especially in the press conference setting, does a very good job of saying well nothing. Um, and uh, but what were your takeaways from it? I know you're the one that you listened to it the first time. I'm sure people have already read some of my views on this or seen tweets about it. So I'll let you. Well, we'll uh, go, I guess what, we what are can, your I'll views as we sit here right now? And go up to the. I can't even call it juicier stuff because it wasn't. There was one juicy takeaway I had. Um, basically, I learned that he anticipates Val coming back, but he okay. still doesn't know. He's going to talk to all of their college guys, but he's not really sure what they're going to do with them yet. Um, he's going to evaluate everything, and that's all he's going to say. I think the biggest takeaway for me, though, was he was asked point blank if Hitchcock was coming back next year, and he did not give his coach a vote of confidence. That, to me, is very telling that there is at least a 50-50 chance Ken Hitchcock will quote-unquote resign in the offseason, and by that I mean he'll be asked to move into his advisor's role without being technically, so basically a forced retirement if we're going to call it what it is. Because if Jim Nill, I feel like if Jim Nill wanted Ken Hitchcock to be a coach next year, he would have come out and said, yes, Ken Hitchcock is going to be our coach next year. There's no reason to say we're going to evaluate it if he's not having serious reservations about bringing Hitchcock back behind the bench. Because it allows us to sit, it, um, if, yes, for anything, it allows us to true. sit here and speculate whether or not Ken Hitchcock's coming back. He could have completely shut that down right there, and he did not. That, to me, is telling. 
Yeah, and it, and it's the it's and Hitch's contract, whether it's I've heard both three years and then I heard the other day four years. Um, so I'm not sure what the exact title is. I mean, we don't know the exact length. That's something that's been kept on that's been kept under wraps. Uh, but it still does, from all understanding, it still comes with that caveat where it's a three or four year employment contract, and it's not a coaching contract. It's this year it was the first year was for sure a coaching contract. The second year could be the special advisor contract, or the or the third year could be the special advisor part of the contract. Um, it's so we don't know exactly what that. Uh, what the how that exactly works, but basically, it can be shuffled. It can be shuffled rather easily, um, and if uh, and I think if I think in the Stars' ideal world, if Kent Hitchcock is not the coach next year, it would they would their best save face move, for lack of a better word, would be the move that somehow gets Hitchcock by his decision whether it's his decision or not, but his decision to step down or retire because of age and everything like that, and then it doesn't feel as much like a firing, even though we probably know what it is. Um, I think that's what the Stars would try to do if if the path of action is to get um, is to have a new head coach come October so 7th or 8th or whatever the first day of the season is. Is that... I, I don't know how to phrase this. I, I know how, I know what I'm trying to say. But I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Is that basically Jim Nill's way of phrasing that? Basically his way of saying, we're going to see who's available, and if there's someone that we like, then we're going to do this. I think so. I, th- I think that's that's kind of how I read into it. Um, because... And I was asked, and I, and I and I've written about this, and I feel confident in saying this for numerous reasons. Um, but you have a GM and coach who aren't on the same page. Um, you look at you can look at both comments. You can look at both their public comments, and you can look at them side by side. Um, you can go as far as before this past season. I'm using. I'm not trying to use. I'm not trying to tarken deeper into the Honka Wars, but. You have to when you talk about this topic. Before this season, Julius Honka, Jim Nill talked about this was going to be Julius Honka's chance to have a good season. He was going to be a big part of this team. Well, Ken Hitchcock has said the opposite things. He His action has shown differently. Um, Jim Nill built a team for the most part, and now we could talk about some guys slightly differently. Jim Nill built a team for the most part that is built to play the style that still pushes offensively. Um, I know for a fact Jim is a guy who liked Lindy Ruff-style hockey. Obviously, he wanted better... De- and, and when I say that, I mean the positives of Lindy Ruff hockey, not the neg- not the defensive lack of defensive structure and giving up the blue line, And but he liked the offensive style, he liked the attacking, and that's, um, and that's frankly, that's what wins in today's NHL. Um, so they're not on the same page, A, because we, we can look at their public comments... And B, we can look at their actions where Jim has Jim Nill has wants wants a faster team. He wants defensemen to carry the puck more. He wants he wants younger players to get more of a shot. I mean, he wants 
I'm sure if Jim Nill had his druthers, Jason Dickinson would have gotten more of a chance this year and not played seven minutes a night when he played. Now, obviously Ken Hitchcock had other views and did not play him as much, and we saw what happened when the top line, basically you had a first and a third line that were overworked so and just I hit a, a wall by game 62, 63. Kind of off of what you just said. First going into the whole okay. Lindy Ruff style of the good aspects of it, look at how Vegas plays. They it, it they literally play exactly how you just described it. They turn the puck up ice fast. They play with speed, but at the same time, it's not a full on sellout, giving up defensively for the sake of offense. That's the type of hockey that I envision when you say something like that, and that's kind of why I was hoping they would. I didn't. I mean, not that Gerard Gallant was that Florida played that hot exact style under. Gerard Gallant the year that he was there, but that's the type of coach that you need. You need somebody who's willing to adjust to the personnel they have and not someone who's consistently trying to jam these square pegs into circle holes and have just thinking that they're going to fit because they've won 820 games in the NHL. That's just, that, it's not logical and that's not how things work in the real world. I'm in you. I love the way you phrased it and you're in the one that I read the other day. With all due respect to Ken Hitchcock and his 800-whatever wins, he is wrong. Because that, just quite frankly, he was wrong a lot this year. And that kind of transfers into the second point. I feel like Jim Nill is a pretty smart guy. And I feel like he knows that the heat is kind of starting to come back at him. And I know a lot of talk recently has been about how Dallas has drafted the last five to eight years. And not all of that is under Jim Nill. But... When we're talking about some of the guys of recent, a la Julius Honka and Jason Dickinson, how much does it piss? Would it piss you off as a general manager to sit here and think these are two guys who I I, I believe can be very good at this NHL level, and I'm putting on this roster because I'm expecting them to get that chance, and then your coach flat out just does not play them. Well, and and, and on Dickinson, for example. Dickinson, there was there was potential for moves at the deadline. There was. There was. And the Stars should have made a move. Um, we can... I can. I disagree with Jim Nill in not making a move. The Stars needed to make a move at the deadline. They did not. Um, but one of the reasons they did not make a move was Jim likes his prospect pool. Jason Dickinson was a name that came up quite often, and Jim did not want to trade Jason Dickinson. Now, Jason Dick... And now... That being said, he had a coach that wasn't going to give Dickinson a chance to play um, more than seven, eight minutes a night and see what he could do. I'd like, frankly, I don't know the answer, and I'm not saying that playing Jason Dickinson was the answer to this season. I'm not trying to claim that, but I don't know if that was the answer or not because we never saw that opportunity. Even on the games, there was one game where Dickinson started on the first line with Sagan, actually, and by the end of the first period, he was off already. So there was never any time to see what could actually percolate and see if there was ever that opportunity for him to do anything. Um, and I want to I want to make make that pretty clear when I when I for everyone listening, when I talk about saying Julius Honka should have played more, should have played more. I'm not saying that Julius Honka Julius Honka plays every minute. The Stars go 82 and 0. I'm not saying that. However, I don't know how good Julius Honka is in the NHL when he actually plays in opportunities where he's tested because I don't haven't seen it. We have we just never got that opportunity this year. And when young kids don't get a chance to sink or swim, you don't and I'm not trying to use the word young kids because they're actually closer to the prime in today's NHL, 23, 24. Um, but when when those guys don't get a chance 
to actually sink or swim. You don't know if they can swim in the in the NHL, and we never got that opportunity. And so we go into next year with some of the same questions: where is Jason Dickinson a solution? And we don't know. I, we should have been able to find that out I, this year, and we didn't. Sure, you remember I texted you last week, two weeks ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, but this is probably the forum to hash it out. This is the thing that that irks me the most about these national writers who get try to get in on this quote-unquote Honka Wars stuff, and they throw their stuff around saying, oh, yeah, well, statistics say this, but statistics also say he's sheltered. I, And my point to you was my whole thing with Julius Honka is not that he is doing this – his possession numbers say this and this and this. So therefore, if he's playing, the stars are going to be that much better. My point is that he's he excelled in the role that he was given, which is all you can ask a guy to do is excel in the role that he's given. Therefore, given, especially when you consider the fact that there were guys in front of him who were quite visibly fatiguing or hitting a wall or just playing lesser than they were earlier in the year, you would think that, hey, he's done well in this. Let's give him a little bit more to handle and see what happens. But that was just never something that happened. And that this was something I thought about a lot yesterday. I get that coaches are going to have their guys, the guys that they like, the guys that they trust. It's human nature to have those personal biases. But I feel like to succeed, truly succeed as a coach, you can't get caught up in stuff like that because there's like you use the Devin Shore example. There was mountains of evidence saying Devin Shore should not have played as much as he was playing this year. And yet he was one guy who seemed to be operating under a different set of rules than someone like Jason Dickinson or Jamel Smith. And you even throw like, you could even throw Remy Ellie out there. Like Remy Ellie couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with a beach ball. And he's still getting, and he's getting thrown up there on then the top six for some reason. Have you ever seen a have you ever seen an NHL so. player fall as much as Remy Ellie falls? I mean, I, it's I, I mean maybe it's maybe it's effort, maybe he's just losing an edge because he's working that hard. But I don't think I've ever seen an yeah, NHL player fall as much as Remy Ellie but falls. The point in the game. being here that I get, like I get it, I get you have your guys, the guys that you trust. But and this isn't me trying to harp for statistics, but I feel like with the eye test, it's so easy to be biased in seeing what you want to see. And sometimes you just have to step back and say, okay, this really isn't working. Let's try something else. And I think, and, and that's ever, I've seen a lot. I, I, I haven't seen a lot of people, but I've seen the argument being made on Twitter that the stars need to get Elaine Vino. And uh, exactly. No, because you know what Elaine Vino's oh, no. problem was no, in no, New no, York. No, no, it's no, the no. same freaking problem that, no, 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 no. that he wouldn't, he's he stuck with these same players who weren't doing well. And, benching guys like Pavel Buknevic. Also, 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 Elaine, uh, okay, not even just on player usage. Any coach that, that fires Lindy Ruff to be their assistant for defensive reasons it's, should it's not be an NHL head if coach. If the Stars are truly are going to move on from Ken Hitchcock, it, and this is the other thing that I don't understand about the NHL, how they recycle the same 38 old white guys to be head coaches in the NHL. I don't, like... A guy was fired for a reason. I don't understand why you're coming in and being like, hey, I'm going to give you your third opportunity to be a coach now because the first two worked out so well. They, they need There needs to be fresh blood if the Stars are truly going to do that. It can't be, yeah, you know, let's bring Dave Tippett back for a reunion tour or let's do this or let's do that. You know what I mean? Oh, God, it's oh, they, they need somebody who, I don't know, doesn't have 
I get, I, like I said, I get that coaches have biases and they have their guys, but at the same time, you have to be willing to disconnect yourself from that. When you're, when you're count, when there's mountains of evidence saying, okay, uh, are your we're, biases uh, are wrong. Are, are we ready to get to the po- part it. of the show where I start driving the Todd Nelson bandwagon again? I do. I'll, okay. You know my answer. You know what my answer is going to be. You have your, you have your druthers who, who, okay, Hitchcock's gone. Considering who's available, what you see. See, that's my who thing. Do you is go I, out and try I and hire right now? I want somebody, not Joe Sacco, because I, he's not, you don't, that's just not, it's not like college football where you just go and poach someone else's head coach, but someone like that, which I guess would be Todd Nelson in this scenario. And I get that Todd Nelson has been in the NHL before, but I don't want them to go out and be like, yeah, let's bring in Elaine Vigneault or let's go get Dan Bilesma or, hey, let's see what Dave Tippett's up to these days. There needs to be I, – I I don't know. I don't – see, I don't follow the AHL close enough. But if, if – I, I can't tell you a name, but I can tell you the guy, and I want it to be a guy like Joe Sacco when Colorado hired him from Lake Erie a couple off seasons ago, an up-and-coming guy who can mm-hmm. bring some energy behind the bench, who can bring some fresh ideas. You mean you mean Jared? What did I say? You mean, you mean, you mean oh, Jared Joe Sacco was their coach who got fired before Patrick. Why? Yes, I meant Jared Bednard. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, don't I'm, know I'm why trying, Joe I was Sacco trying to figure out where you were going on that. So that's very strange because I maybe their GM. You mean it's close I, to the, G, the name of their GM? Yes, I meant Jared Bednard. But we're talking about Jared, we're we're talking about Jared Bednard, who actually. Um, we're talking about Jared Bednar, who, frankly, I don't actually have a vote in the uh, in the Coach of the Year award. That's uh, that's I believe that's co- that's voted upon by the GMs. Um, but we're talking about a guy who actually Gallant's going to win the Coach of the Year award. But the more I think about it, Jared Bednar should win the Coach of the Year. I think. I mean, frankly, you look at the two teams they were given. Gallant was given a better team in Vegas than Bednar was given in Colorado. And he took basically the team with roughly the same players and turned it from a team that was one of the worst teams in recent memory to a playoff team. No, that's just... No, for sure. Yeah, I, I digress. I but. don't disagree with that. I mean, Gallant's going to win it. And I mean, you, I don't think, I don't know anyone who's going to say he shouldn't win it because what Vegas did this year was phenomenal. And obviously, he was a big part of that. But... And you got to think too. Colorado's doing it right now without Varlamov, and you can make you can certainly argue about the effectiveness of Semyon mm-hmm. Varlamov and how good of a goalie he actually is. But he's they got two backups on their roster right now, and they're st- and they beat St. Louis in a winner take all yeah. game to make the playoffs. And you got to think that was without they missed Nathan McKinnon, arguably the MVP in the National Hockey League. If he played all eighty two games this year, what do you miss? Eight ten games, dead in the middle of the season. If he is playing in those yeah. eight games or whatever that he missed, you could make an argument that that game against St. Louis is not a winner-take-all game, that Colorado's got an yeah. extra couple points in the bank there, and they're in the playoffs yeah. easily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you're looking at young coach, young AHL guys that could be ready to coach in the NHL. I'm going to continue to drive the Todd Nelson bandwagon. I like how his teams play. I enjoy watching his teams play. Um, I like that in Grand Rapids, he's used five forwards on the power play in the past because the answer was, frankly, those are my five best offensive players and we're trying to score. Um, The other two names are uh, obviously uh, Sheldon Keefe, who's coaching in Toronto. um, And um, what's his name in Providence? Um, 
uh, Jay Leach, who I think is still only like 37, 38. Um, those are the other two names, if I'm thinking of AHL guys who I'd like to see come in and coach and can work with young guys and A play styles that I'd like to see the Dallas Stars play. Um, personally, I think uh, I'm not always a big fan of... Uh, I, I, I guess it's had some success in Philadelphia, taking the college coach and taking them straight to the NHL, but I do think there's something to be said of hiring a guy who has some experience working with pros, because I think there's a, there's a big difference between um, who was the guy that Pittsburgh hired before that didn't pan out um, that didn't pan out before uh, Sullivan took over midseason? Um, they hired straight from the WHL. Johnston. Um, drawing a blank on his. I'm drawing a. Yeah, Mike John. Yeah, I think it's Mike yeah. Johnston. Mike Johnston? No, which. Yeah, um, but I don't. I, I I'm personally. I I think there's some value in bringing a guy in who has experience as a head coach at the pro level. So that's why I personally take a look at those AHL guys. Um, but I, w- I want to see a guy like that. Um, I saw some. I saw a couple. I've seen other people who have brought have brought up to me t- people they see. Um, I saw somebody bring up Ralph. Someone mentioned Ralph Kruger to me. Um, somebody mentioned Marco Sturm to me, and we saw what those guys did in short tournaments. But my big that's the key for me is those are short tournaments. It's one thing to be an underdog and make a difference in a short tournament. I don't know how that works over the scheme. I don't know how that works over the scheme of 82 games. And that's why I kind of lean towards those AHL guys I mentioned. And I think also the other thing too, is if you brought in a veteran coach, if you had a veteran coach here again, and Ken Hitchcock is floating around in the offices as a coach advisor because that's what his role would be, you're just asking for more problems because there's no way that coach is going to... There's no way that's going to work. Um, with a young coach, I think there'd at least be open to conversation with Hitch, um, and you and Jim would be able to provide a little bit of a safety net of what and what not to use from Hitch because there are certain things that Ken Hitchcock brought in that need to stay as part of this franchise. Um, they're not denying that at all, but there are certain things that obviously you want to, you would want a younger coach to ignore. But if you had two older coaches in there, I just feel like it would either, it would probably mash, it would probably mash quite a bit, or a guy like Elaine Vigneault would have someone who he'd be soundboarding with who would basically say, don't play players who are 23, 24, and he, he would have someone agreeing with him and it would just lead to more of the same issues. So I think it needs to be a younger coach as far as experience goes. I don't think age matters. I just think a guy who has new ideas, has kind of been forced to adapt and grow with today's hockey, and uh, that's why I continue to push the Todd Nelson bandwagon. Yeah, I, I just I agree with that. And, I, I mean, it makes complete sense if you get a first-time head coach or what what did Todd, Todd Nelson coach with the Oilers a couple of years ago, like 40-some-odd games or something like that? It was – 40-something games, but it was that time where they hired him and his GM basically said, I'm also going to coach with you. And it was a really messed up situation. There was just no... He really wasn't put in a position for success. He was a great coach in the AHL with Oklahoma City. He's won a Calder Cup in Grand Rapids. Um, and my one fear with getting a guy like that is I think you need to you need to move and get him quickly because I feel like he's probably the coach in... If Detroit has... A, Another year like they had this year, um, he may be coaching Detroit at the start of the following yeah, season. I, exactly. And, I mean, if you look, I get that the whole – that the bringing up the new guy doesn't always work because I feel like two of the biggest AHL hotshots the last 
you know, five years or whatever who've been hired have been Dallas Eakins and Jeff Blashill, and we all know how that all worked out. But just look at coaches the Stars have hired since Ken Hitchcock was first with the franchise. And who they had the most success with since then. Exactly. You know, since, since Ken Hitchcock... And Tippett was not, and, and Tip was not a. We think of Tippett as an established coach now, but Tippett no, wasn't Dave an established Tippett's, coach. Dallas was, when he was Dave hired. Tippett's, I believe, first NHL head coaching job. And you look at since Ken Hitchcock was first with Dallas, they hired Dave Tippett. Then when Dave Tippett was let go, they brought in Mark Crawford, we all an established head coach at that time. We all know how that worked out. They took a chance on Glenn Gullison after Mark Crawford. And 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 Gullitson's error comes with an asterisk for me because I think Gullitson, we Gullitson was in a tough spot with a he did not get a good team it was the middle of the bankruptcy era it was not right. it's kind of a tough spot to succeed anyway so Gullitson's kind of hard to judge exactly just and I my opinion I but. don't disagree with that at all because if you're not if you're talking about where you have a situation where one, I mean, you don't have an the NHL was owning the team at that point. They had to approve every transaction that was coming through because they were finding they what were basically financing the team. So it's it, it's hard to get free agents to come to a situation mm-hmm. like that. It's hard to and sometimes I mean it's easy for your player. I feel like it's easy for players to lose focus in a situation, or it can be, especially if things start to go south because you know you look at the trade deadline coming up and you're like, oh, maybe we're a piece away from the playoffs and you can't make playoffs i hold on i just had a brain fart right there but you can't add a piece because the nhl doesn't want you to add payroll or whatever so after gully they go to Lindy. we all know how that went out it was good it was bad mostly bad mm-hmm. and then they come back and they bring hitch and it was i would argue disastrous but there, there yeah and i i think let's just clarify there are a bunch of things and i want to just to stay fair to both sides on this there are a bunch of things that hitch does deserve credit for that you want to stay in the system you want how the defensemen play the gap to stay you want the uh you want some of some of the penalty killing i actually recently it struggled but i actually like the penalty killing philosophy overall um things like that are good other things, how what, what happens, and I'm working on a piece for this later this week, what happens once the puck defensemen get the puck, I want a completely different look. But there are some good things um, that, that need to be given credit for. John Klingberg has John Klingberg is a, is a much better overall defenseman because of his work with Hitch and Rick Wilson this year. Um, but overall, there are a lot of things left to be desired. And even if Stars didn't have that eight-game slide, and they win. Say they win in Boston. Say they don't not in Boston. Say they win that game against Boston, where they let up two goal, three goals after leading two nothing going into the third period. And then say with that momentum, they beat Vancouver, and they're in the playoffs by one point. Um, even if they're in the playoffs this year, I mean, what tells us that this team? I, I I'm curious how worn out, frankly. We saw John Klingberg worn out by now. We saw Jamie Benn worn out. We saw Radulov kind of become a shell of himself. It was going to happen to Sagan sooner than later. I was. I wonder if by the time we got through the middle of the first round, if Tyler Sagan would finally hit that wall. I mean, I just don't know if they would have had the. Frankly, I don't know if they had the the hor- any horse any any gas left right, in the tank to make it past the first round. Big minutes. We're talking about if we're talking about those three forwards, they're playing tough minutes because 
every other team can look at that one line and say, this is the only line that can possibly beat us. We are going to throw everything we have defensively at them. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and the other, and the other, and, and as we get to playoff officiating where where refs don't call things in the playoffs, it becomes even harder to be Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn and get space because there's more of the little hooks and grabs and things you deal with that aren't going to get called because it's the playoffs. Which yeah. is also another tangent for another day, frankly. <laughs> so I, it's 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 going to be a real interesting off season to see what's happening this week. The stars are sitting down; they're diagnosing everything. Um, I know. I saw a couple of players. I know Jim had a meetings with a couple. Jim's been sitting down one on one with a, with basically every single player um, to kind of get a feel for how the season went. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, and that's not, and there's also needs to be, obviously the coaching is the one thing we've talked a lot about the coaching and I think you and I are in agreement that needs to be, there needs to be some fresh blood. There needs to be someone who actually can coach, you know, in my view, who, who can coach in today's NHL to win. Um, the GM also has to do, take a long, deep look in the mirror too, because there are some, there are a bunch of things here that. There are a bunch of things here that he didn't do that needed to be done. Um, we've talked about this before in the past where we've talked about Jim can swing big. Um, Jim can swing big. He can hit home runs, but he's always kind of lacked that that mid-range game. I'm using way too many other sports analogies right now. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's always lacked that mid-game that you need to actually be able to build a, a final complete team. And... Like, I go back to making a move at the deadline. I know people say, oh, we want to protect our picks, we want to protect our picks, we want to protect our assets, but if the Stars had done what New Jersey did, trade a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick and two B-level prospects for Michael Grabner and Patrick Maroon, they may be in the playoffs right now, and that's actual real second line. Um, if uh, if he, doesn't go into tra- he goes into training camp hoarding too many assets and basically creates a situation where... They went into training camp with nine defensemen. Five of those spots were really spoken for, and it's basically four guys. It's it just it's, it wasn't conducive. You need you need to make decisions sometimes on things like that, um, and that's 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 actually one of my biggest fears going into this offseason is that they there is in there, that there's some indecisiveness overrides, and then we go into next season with defensemen, and all of a sudden it becomes uh, a training camp where oh we're seeing five guys battle for two spots or something like that. And I think, I know people always say competition breeds results. And I think for, in a sense it does, but there are certain players that I think you just need to say, you're our guy. Let's go with you. Did any of that no, make sense? I realized that if you got a situation where if you got five guys competing for two spots and that you can, and, and we're not talking about like, it, it might be a little different next year when a couple of those guys are, you're looking at like, Miro, or maybe you're talking about Gavin Bayreuther coming in and potentially competing for a spot in camp where if they don't make the team, you could send them down. It's one thing when it's, you know, eight guys that then you then have to carry on your opening night roster because they have no, they have to go through waivers to get sent back down. And you're, and now you're just hamstringing everything and you have two guys sitting in the press box on a nightly basis and they're not getting game action. And it's just a bad situation for everyone involved. We talked about this. I feel like we should, there was a period last year where I thought we were going to rename the podcast the Eighth Defenseman Podcast. So I, we don't need to rehash that out again. But yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. If it's it's good. No, if we don't. We don't. You have young guys. If you have guys who are competing, who you're then either sending back to junior or you're sending down to the AHL. It's not good if you have 
eight guys competing who all have to stay on your team or you have to send them through waivers to get them off your roster. Yeah, it's you need to have you need to make decisions sometimes. I mean, the stars needed before this season they needed to make it they needed to make a decision on Patrick Nemeth and Jamie Alexiak before this season. And we saw what happened when you waited until the very end and you that decision was forced upon you where you ended up with a fourth round pick for Jamie Alexiak, which is not nearly what you could have gotten if you had made a decision way in advance. And you got nothing for Patrick Nemeth, who is both of them are yeah, in the playoffs exactly. now. And I mean yeah, that's exactly, exactly it. I don't know. What are you smiling about? I'm having my brain. Okay. Concerts. All right. Um, heading into this offseason, we talked about coaches. We talked about the GM. You look at, let's go through the UFAs real quick. Um, Kari Letton is gone. Um, he probably... There's a real possibility he would have been back, but then Ben Bishop got hurt, and all the old wounds kind of reopened during that losing streak. It is not Lightning's fault they're missing the playoffs. There are lots of reasons to pick at, but you just can't go through... You, you, they, the Stars can't bring Kari Lightning back because you can't go no, through another class with him and Nettingen. You talked about it in your, in your feature go, about him that he needs a fresh start out of Atlanta. He needs a fresh start out of Dallas now. Yeah, so, and, I mean, I think where could Kari end up? I'm very interested to see some who, where he ends up, because it's going to be an interesting market for a goalie who has, is a veteran goalie, but has never really won anything. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I think, like, frankly, frankly I th- so Antti Niemi gets a fresh start last year, this year, and has, it's been an incredible story of what he's done in Montreal. But I was thinking about it the other day. The only reason that Antti Niemi probably got that chance in Pittsburgh is because he won a Stanley Cup in Chicago. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Because, yeah, it had nothing to do with his play in Dallas. Even even in San Jose, he had been good. But if if Jim Rutherford doesn't look at... If, if Antti Niemi's resume doesn't have a Stanley Cup victory on it, Antti Niemi doesn't end up in Pittsburgh and his career is over. Kari's never won a playoff series as a full-time starting goalie. The one series they won where Kari played was that Minnesota series where he and Niemi were yeah. both yanked in the series. So, um, um, I think it was funny. I don't know where, I mean, the one thing that comes to mind is maybe, I know I saw Chicago's post, uh, I saw Bowman's, uh, final media availability talked about some of the young goalies not getting the job done and maybe needing more of a veteran backup for one year behind Crawford. Maybe Kari could go to Chicago and be a backup, but, um, either way, the stars need another backup goalie. Um, I don't know who that's going to be. It's going to be interesting to me see what realm that is, um, because the names that would be ideal to me, I don't know if they'll be available. I don't think they'll be available, um, because a, I mean, the perfect the perfect world. You say, oh, let's go get Carter Hutton. Well, Carter Hutton's a UFA, um, is a UFA. Carter Hutton had a good year in in, in St. Louis, and if you're Carter Hutton and you know what happens with Jake Allen's brain every year, exactly. you're going to stay there because you're going to play more games. Um, um, Maybe Michael Hutchinson could be a good option. Um, internally, I don't think the Stars have the option that's ready to be a backup and play yet. I think Landon Bow has potential to be a backup in a year or two, but um, I'm fascinated to see where they go to fill the backup uh, the backup goalie realm because there's not an option that stands out to me or shouts to me or anything like that that really that really fits. Um, 
because you're not going to find if you if you're looking for if you're looking for a goalie that is older and more established and wants to play more games, ideally you're probably not going to have that option in Dallas because Ben Bishop wants to play 60 games a year. So you're looking for a guy who's willing to play 22 games. You're probably looking for a guy who's going to be a bit of a cheaper cap hit, obviously after the past years in goalie in uh, in, in goalie expense expen- uh, expenses. Um, but so I'm not sure. I'm not sure where they go. I mean, for me, I think Hutchinson is the name that I would. If you could convince him to come over, he's the guy who might be the right fit for me because I don't think I think Carter Hutton is a pipe dream. It would never happen. Um, but hey, I don't know. Any other names to you that pop out there? I would. I would love to have Andrew Hammond here because of the conversations I could talk to him about because of our connection uh, as far as going to the same university and having covered him in college. But I don't think Andrew Hammond is a. Uh, I don't know. You need a goalie who actually you can trust to play in the playoffs because you Ben Bishop hates it. Ben Bishop will hate that I'm bringing this up. Ben Bishop is injury prone. He is. He gets hurt. He's got a bad history of getting injury prone. Um, he hates that label. He's a very soft spot for the goalie. Um, but uh, I think I need somebody who I can say, okay, if I go into a playoff series, I'm going to trust them. Like, I mean... That's why I think Colorado's in a better spot with now Jonathan Bernier is not the not a world beater, but I think Colorado, like Colorado had Bernier and I trust Bernier in a playoff series to All an extent. Right, here we go. According to Cat Friendly, these are the top unrestricted free agent goaltenders this year for this offseason who made more than one million dollars in salary this year. Kari Lettinen, Yaro Halak, okay. Cam Ward, Jonathan Bernier. Eddie Locke, Chad Johnson, Andrew Hammond, Andre Pavlet, Anton Kudobin, Michael Hutchinson, Carter Hutton, and that's it. What were uh, Hudobin's numbers this year? Sorry, I didn't hit the volume button. Very good. He had 15 wins, 6 losses, 1 shootout loss. Two five eight goals against nine thirteen save percent. That's a guy I would target, but that's a, in thirty games as yeah. well. But but what once? But once again, he's a guy too where he's on a good team. It's one thing to try and lure a backup away from a bad team to a good team, and you to start. I'm not saying the stars are a good team, but he's on a good team that's finished with the uh, second best record in the Eastern Conference. So. But then again, Rask is a workhorse, and maybe he looks at Bishop and says, okay, well, I could play a bit more That's with possible. Bishop's it, workhorse. I mean, I don't know. for whatever um, reason, there seems to be like once or twice every year where the Boston media decides to go on this witch hunt where they say that Anton Kudobin is better than Tuka Rask, and I don't I don't understand that whatsoever. I, the Boston media in general I don't understand because there are – so I feel like some true sociopaths in the Boston media, but – I, I don't know. I feel like that's not a situation where he would leave unless it's and like like you stated that he looked at Dallas as a situation where hey maybe if Ben Bishop gets hurt I could play forty fifty games, uh, depending on the extent of an injury. But mm-hmm. and, and Bishop's contract obviously comes into is a big uh, detractor too for a goalie for a goalie in that younger realm who says like oh I want to go somewhere and I could be the backup for a couple of years and then be a starter. The problem is Dallas already has it pretty clearly laid out. The plan is Bishop's got five more years after this. Um, he'll be in the second year of a six-year contract next year. And they've also drafted the goalie of the future, and they might even have two goalies of the future depending on how legit Colton, whether Colton Point's season is an anomaly or if that's actually 
something to believe. And I hope Colton Point's season actually is something that is a side of things to come because it'd be a great story, fifth-round pick. But um, so it's, you're not going to get a guy who's going to come here and says, okay, I'll sign for a couple, I'll sign for two years, knowing year one I'll be a backup and then I might be able to steal some start, bit more starts. Um, so you got to find a guy who's in that completely in that real backup mindset, which is no goalie actually is in that mindset. Um, and every goalie wants to play more. I'm sure. I mean, I think what in, in Toronto, you probably have the highest split because uh, Freddie Anderson is going to play like 80, 885, played 185 games this year or something like that. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how they fill that. Yeah, role. I mean, I, you want to talk about, uh, if we want to go back down the rabbit hole a year, talk about butterfly effect. Uh, who was that? The one guy that you and me were both beating the drum for that Dallas go out and get last off season. Who was it? Well, that one that didn't go uh, well, Scott Darling in Carolina. Yeah. Starting Philip game Grubauer? one. Yeah. That's, that's true. Philip Grubauer brought quite a that that brought quite a laugh to my uh, quite a laugh. Seeing that today made me laugh because so we uh, I'm in this uh, hockey media pool with about fifteen or sixteen other writers and basically you get to pick seven skaters mm-hmm. and one goalie right so basically every uh, every goalie in the playoffs gets taken uh, and so Scott Burnside um, formerly of the Dal- of DallasStars.com and of another outlet soon to be announced. Um, had waited until the last pick to pick his goalie, and he took Brady Holtby. No, that's no, so, no uh, joke. That's um, <laughs> I did one last year, and it didn't happen this year because somebody didn't pay last year, and I was supposed to get like ninety bucks from it, and I never did. I feel like I should make a claim for that somewhere. But I took uh, Matt Murray in the first round, and then he got hurt, so I went two rounds without a goalie, basically. And then I took Mark Andre Fleury, and he played yeah. two games, and then Matt Murray came back. It was just. It was disastrous all around. <laughs> uh, that's a guy, yeah. Philip Grubauer is a guy who's going to get paid this offseason. He's restricted. And um, you'd think that Washington, so Washington's going to have an interesting choice on their hands because uh, Braden Holtby, I believe, is locked up for a long period of time at a very and is very handsomely compensated. Yeah. Um, there's two goalies like that that are... There are two current backups that... And I don't think Dallas is in the mix for either of them because of Ben Bishop's contract and situation. But there are two goalies in the NHL like that that are backups now, that are RFAs, that if I was building an NHL franchise, I would be very interested in making a move for. And that's both Grubauer and obvious, and then in Columbus, uh, Jonas Corposalo. Because I believe he's an RFA after this summer. or uh, I'm not sure if he's an RFA or if he's under contract and then RNF. Either way, those are the two goalies that if I was to be like, I'm going to try and build my franchise and I'm going to get two goalies that aren't quote-unquote established starters right now, those are the two. Um, now, I don't think either of them are an offer for Dallas, option for Dallas because of the cost and whether I don't think either of them would be interested in the stars. Yeah, um... I don't know if Corpusala is restricted or if he has one more. I'm kind of looking through and I don't see him right now. I, I either I, I think it's I think if I remember correctly, and I'm not looking right at his cat friendly page right now. I think he's under contract for next season and then an RFA after that. Either way, he's under Columbus control. Yeah, for a period. Uh, is my point. But uh, he's in. Yeah. Yeah, that's not worth getting into right now. But yeah. 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 Um. 
talked about the goalie situation. Let's go through the other UFAs. We'll start on defense. Yeah, we'll just do we'll do the one forward UFA first. Antoine Roussel, who is is going to get paid by someone in my view. Someone's going to overpay him. Um, it's I hope it's not the Stars because I don't think that it fits with. It's not going to fit for what he provides anymore. Um, but I think somebody will end up giving Antoine Roussel three million dollars this summer. I'm not sure who, but I think somebody will. Yeah, I agree. Um, we talked about this the last time we were chatting, and he's. I don't think he scored a goal since then. So, I December twenty yeah, third. So definitely talked before. We well, we've talked multiple times since December twenty third on this podcast. So that's unfortunate. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm not paying. He's making two million dollars right now against the cap, and he is most likely. In all likelihood, I feel like 99.9% certain that he's going to get a raise off of that. I'm not sure how much of a raise it's going to be, but if I am Dallas, I don't want to be the one who is paying for that raise. I think he's in one of two places. The first one is the pick that I think um, is the overarching pick and someone who I know has shown interest in him before is Montreal, Um, just with the French connection there and everything like that. Um, The other place I think he could end up and I think is a a team with a lot of cap space would be able to give three million to him has another french player on the team and obviously has shown no qualms about acquiring players who are just pests is vegas yeah i think you mentioned that the last time yeah yeah but i think well see the thing with vegas though is they're going to have a very interesting offseason on their hands as well because they took some truly putrid contracts in the sake of Yes. acquiring better assets, and they're losing one of those contracts in the offseason in Mikhail Grabowski, but they still have another one on their books for two more years after this, two or three more years after this, and David Clarkson. And they have two very interesting free... They have three very interesting free agent decisions on their hand in the offseason. Well, William Carlson, how, do you pay William Carlson like a 43-goal scorer, or do you pay William Carlson like William Carlson for the first for the majority of his career. That's well, fascinating. Majority, in, in fairness to William Carlson, the majority of his career before that was two seasons. So, I and he's still only twenty five. So I feel like it's very. He, he was drafted in the second round. Yes. It's not like we're talking about a guy who was a seventh round pick here, who came out of nowhere. I mean, he did come out of nowhere, but I, I mean, you kind of have to pay him like a forty three goal scorer because if, if I'm William Carlson, I'm not <laughs> signing a contract that's not paying me like a forty three goal scorer. No, he's is he restricted. A UFA? So granted, he doesn't have the kind of leverage that no. someone like James Neal or David Perron have, but those are two guys that you also have and to it, look at as well if you're Vegas, because both of them, James Neal, not as much as David Perron. David Perron was phenomenal this year. James Neal was good, mm-hmm. but he was also hurt a little bit. Neal was phenomenal for the first three And then three he got hurt, and then he's just been kind of meh since then. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's still an important yeah. part of that team, but if you're Vegas, you have... David Clarkson's $5 million cap hit or whatever it is looming large over you right now. And you have three pretty important guys that you have to resign in the off season. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, so that's Roussel. We both think he's gone. Um, if he's back, it's because his market, he completely tanked his market even more so than I think he did. Um, and that means he took, if he's back, that means if he's back. Well, he's either back and the stars made a mistake, or he's back and his value took quite a took quite a drop with his performance this season. Um, the other two that become interesting, and this is going to be 
this is going to open a bit of a wormhole of a discussion, is you've got Greg Pattern and Dan, Dan Ham, who's are both unrestricted. Um, I get the feeling that it's... There's no way both are back. There's no way both are back. But you do get the feeling like it's one or the other could be back. And I don't know if that's... I don't think... I don't know if that's the right choice either. Um, personally, in a perfect world, if you're the stars and you can control all situations, I bring Greg Pattern back as a seventh defenseman. But if I'm Greg Pattern, I'm not coming back to be a seventh defenseman. So... I'm just rambling here. Chopping. No, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> if, if we're talking about this a year ago, you're saying, well, maybe Greg Pattern can come back as the seventh defenseman, but I don't see any way where he would willingly come back to a team where he just played 68 games or whatever and be a guy who suits up for only 15 next year. Especially especially with the NHL market, and this, this is a good market for him to be a UFA and defensive-wise because – Obviously, the big defensive markets the year after when Dowdy and Carlson become, aver- uh, become available. Um, Greg Pattern is a top four defenseman somewhere in the NHL, and if he's signing back in Dallas, um, if he's signing back in Dallas where the Stars have three right-handed defensemen where they, in theory, plan to build around, I'm, I'm him and his agent. I say, okay, we're going to go find that opportunity where I'm going to be a top four guy and play, and I'm going to get paid like it. Right, and here is a fun fact for you. Of unrestricted okay. free agent defensemen this offseason, only two posted more than 25 points. It is a seller's market, as they say. Mm-hmm. You have John, John yeah. someone is going to give John Carlson a gargantuan contract. Oh, yeah. And he'll probably deserve it because he very well could win the Norris this year. And then you have Mike Green. Got one. As well. And those are the only two guys who score more than 25 points. This is truly a putrid market for unrestricted defensemen this offseason. I mean, Dan Hamus and Greg Batter are both probably top 10 UFAs for defensemen, right? Oh, uh, let me see if I can filter out the RFAs out of here because there's a couple pretty good restricted free yeah. agent defensemen, but we all know how that goes. But offer, but offer sheets don't exist in exactly. today's NHL. Remember that. Offer sheets exactly. don't exist in today's exactly. NHL. Um. So, if we're going in descending order of points, uh, Dan Hamhus is fourth among restricted defensemen, and Greg Patteron is 13th. Greg Patteron had 13 points this year, if that tells you how bad this market truly is. Yeah, but you can't just look, I mean, you can't I get just that. look at I get points for defensemen. Points, but yeah, but, okay, here, I'll give you, between John Carlson and Greg Patteron, I will give you the names. Mike Green, okay. Thomas Hickey, Dan Hamhuse, Kevin Connaughton, Ian Cole, Brandon Manning, John Moore, Francois Beauchemin, who I believe is retiring, Nick Holden, he is Lucas Biza, Mark Barbario. All right, so, so Greg Pattern is, is a top 10 defensive free yeah, agent. That's, that's, yeah, the, that looks yeah. like the defense I expected Vegas to roll out this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they... Uh, there's a market there that they should capitalize on. Both of them should capitalize on, and I don't know if Dallas. And I personally, I don't think Dallas should be the one to pay for it because if the in the ideal world, my ideal six defensemen for the Stars next year are you go down the you go left you go down your right side. It's Klingberg, Honka, Johns, or Klingberg, Johns, Honka, whatever order you want to list them in. Fine. Um, then you go down the left side. You go Lindell. Uh, you go Lindell, Mathot, uh, 
in Mithat Heishkinen. And then you go find a Kevin Connaughton, or you find you find you find a journeyman defenseman to be that seventh, the guy that can play twelve minutes a night, and then you don't, and then you keep all your AHL guys playing in the AHL. You intentionally find a guy who can be the seventh, and you pay him like a seventh. Um, that's what my ideal six would be on opening night. Yeah, and I don't, I I completely agree with that. I, the sitch, this, and I know I know some people. I know some people will counter. They'll be like, oh, you need another veteran defenseman. Mark Mathot's a veteran enough. John Klingberg at this point in his career should be a veteran already. He's a veteran by my standards of the NHL. He's played that many games. He understands the game. He's, an, he's, uh, I think he, he's, he's one of the assistant captains. He's a veteran. Essa Lindell is, is older now, too. I know it'll only be his third full season, but you don't need to bring another guy in just because he's older. You've, you've, got, young, you've got a young core that can play. And I really think you need to let you, you need to start letting Heishkinen become who he can become in the NHL. Okay. That's the other. Th- well, I talk about Miro Heishkinen. Well, I, okay. I thought you meant like Honka because he's the guy who's been playing in the NHL and Miro is still in Finland. But I, I agree with that too. No, well, no. If you're signing a guy, if you bring in another left-handed defenseman, you're blocking Miro. Right. If you re, if you re-sign Dan Hamhuis, you're blocking. Okay, you're making a situation I got what that. You're but that, that. So my point is my point is to not re-sign another left-handed defenseman you think is going to play because I think you need. Miro Heiskanen is ready to play in the NHL in my view. I mean, I'm not sure. Some people might disagree with me that a 19 year old isn't ready to play in the NHL, but I think if Miro is not ready on opening night, if you give him 15 NHL games, he'll be ready by game 16. That's how good yeah, of a player he is. If you are Jim Mill and you believe in the guys that you have accumulated over the course of the last couple of years of you being the general manager of this team, if you believe in them to be the players you expect them to be, there's no one, unless you're going to make another big-ass trade in the offseason and bring in another defenseman, there's no one on this market who I, other than John Carlson, which is a pipe dream, don't, someone's going to give John Carlson a fat contract and that's just not going to jive mm-hmm. with what Dallas is trying to do, I feel like. There's no other free agent defenseman right now that where I sit there and I look at it and I say he make he would make this team better over these six guys that you just outlined. Yeah. And I want to save that if you're going to go looking for free agency, you need to find someone for a second line. That's what you need to find. You don't need to spend your time looking at defense. You need to spend your time figuring out how do we give how do we create a second line that actually scares people and actually can be a threat. Um Personally, I think you don't need to go out and find a. Personally, I'd, just because I'm high on Radic Fox, I think Radic Fox can actually be a top six center. Um, I might be right, I might be wrong. Um, I think he can be a top six center, so it doesn't technically have to be a center. It could be a winger, but um, you, you need to go find somebody that can fill that role. Um, and this is where I'll start pushing the Mark Stone bandwagon again. Start to trade for Mark Stone. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I have two bandwagons, the Todd Nelson and the Mark Stone bandwagon. Everyone's free to jump on. <laughs> okay, here's a philosophical question for you. Okay. If Ken Hitchcock is not coming back, do you think that Jason Spezza has enough left in the tank that he should come back next year and be utilized differently than he was this year? The only, well, for one, the only way Jason Spezza comes back if Ken Hitchcock is well, gone. Right. That's the only right. way Jason... But in this yeah, hypothetical yeah. scenario, uh, do you think that he would theoretically have enough left in the tank? to be a useful player next year if utilized in the way he should probably have been utilized this year. 
Um, I think Jason Spezza could still be a 35 point, 35, 40 point guy. If playing, being a power play specialist, playing 14, 16 minutes a night with other players that can actually score, um, I think that's the ceiling, 35 to 40 points. Do you want to pay $7.5 million, $7. million for that? Probably not, but frankly, that might be that might be depending on what the actual market is, and there is belief there's a market for him. That might be it might it might be worth it might be worth in, in looking into. Um, I don't think we can ever think he's going to be the Jason Spezza of old. I think that's uh, that's that's a fallacy. But I think he obviously he can be way more than an eight goal scorer. Yeah, I see. I feel like I don't know what I feel like with Jason Spezza. I'm just. I, I don't know, but I don't know. I'm very, I don't want to say off-put by the thought of bringing him back, but I'm, I'm not, I'm still not really sure how I feel about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I think, I think you have to find out what's, I think you have to find the best fit for what works for you as, as you, if there really is a market for him, if there actually is, and it's a market where you don't have to retain salary, um, I'm probably, I'm probably going that way. Uh, now if there's, if, if there's a market, but you have to retain salary and it's not really much of a return, I look at him maybe being a guy who can get 30, 35 points, and then he can be, provide some, provide some depth scoring on a, on a team that plays more balanced minutes where maybe that first line, that first line is instead of playing, instead of playing Tyler Sagan, 25 minutes, Tyler Sagan's playing 19, 20. And then, uh, and then you're kind of sharing his time a little bit more over those bottom three lines. And then maybe Spezza can actually get into a rhythm a bit more, maybe play a little bit better. And there's a couple options there. Um, but it all comes down to me on what the actual market is. And I don't know what the actual market is, um, because I've, I've heard what is, what the belief is, and I'm not sure if I believe that. That's fair. So, if you're going to beat this Mark Stone drum, he is restricted. Uh, but as we know, that means literally nothing. He might as well be under contract with Ottawa. So that yeah, means so that to be a trade. the Stars, unless Jim Nill feels like pissing off everyone in Ottawa is going to have to give up something to get Mark Stone. So, looking at what the Stars have in the pipeline right now, what would you be willing to give up to make that happen? First round pick in any prospect not named Miro? Even Honka, question mark. Or do you not consider him a prospect um, anymore? I would, not be, uh, I would not be opposed to including Honka in the deal if... <laughs> Okay, I, I got. I got to think. That like changes you. If you're I, okay, putting Hawk in yeah, the yeah, deal, yeah, it's uh, going to have to change your algebra then, because then you're going to have to bring yeah, someone yeah, okay. back. Or okay, get okay, okay, cool, 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 okay. Okay, I am. I'm doing math like I'm thinking like I'm Jim. I, I'm thinking like I'm. If I'm if I'm running the team myself, um, probably first round pick in any prospect that they want that's not Miro or Honka. Um, if we're considering Julius as a prospect here. And that's talking about if I'm running the team, because I think I have my six defensemen there to run for a decade. Including um, even even Would you include Val in this trade? I would include Val in this trade. Okay. Easily. I don't think I don't 
I think Val is going to come back and be a depth player, and he, I think he's going to have an opportunity to play well, but I don't think the ceiling is as high as is, as is getting promoted about him. Like, I think, da- I think Val is going to disappoint people when he comes back next year because people are going to come back. He's going to come back, and people are going to think very highly of what he's going to be able to do. They're going to think, oh, first-round pick, he went to the KHL, he's going to come back, and he's going to be a point-per-game score. He's not going to be that. Um, so I, I have no problem partying with Val Nachushkin for Mark Stone. I have, I have no problem with doing that. Um, and I know someone's going to counter and says, oh, you can't keep giving away first-round picks. You can't, you've got to, uh, you've got to build for the future, yada, yada, yada. You only have so much time with Jamie Benn's prime, Jamie Benn starting to get towards the end of his prime, Tyler Sagan's prime. You need a guy like Mark Stone. And I have no problem trading one first-round pick. You had two first-round picks last year. You had two first-round picks last year. I think they both, they're both looking like they might pan out. Um, as long as, I mean, if you win the lottery, we might be having a different discussion. But I was going to say, that's, um, my, have, that's my next question. If Dallas yeah. moves up to one through three, are you still making that trade then? Uh, I am not. If I'm, two or, if, I'm, if I'm one or two, no. If I'm three, yes. If I'm three, then I think I can get I can make that trade straight up. That's fair. See, I if I if, if I if I if I'm the third pick, I think I can trade the third pick for Mark Mark Stone directly. I may be wrong, but I think the third overall pick for Mark Stone directly would be. My thing with would that be would fair. be I'd already be hesitant enough to trade the third overall pick for Mark Stone if Pierre Dorian is asking for more than the third overall pick for Mark Stone. I'm telling him to kick rocks and go try to find something better elsewhere because I don't think that would exist yeah. elsewhere. So I feel like there's enough. I, from what I've read, it sounds like the drop-off in this draft class is expected to come somewhere around 7-8 overall. Mm-hmm. So I feel my thought would be if you somehow strike lightning again, that's not the phrase, I don't know why I just said that, but if you catch lightning in a bottle again and you move up into the top three and we're not drafting at number one, because if you're drafting at number one, that once again changes the algebra because now you're putting... Rasmus Dahlin on the left side of his defense, and now everything's all, I don't know what, how you make that work. I know how you, you figure out a way to make that work, but if no. you're taking three, I feel like if you put a guy like, like Andre Svechnikov. Real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. Pipe dream scenario. You're taking, uh, you're taking, you're taking, uh, if you get Dahlin at number one, um, you can do one of two things. You either can decide, okay, Hanka's not part of our future, or... You can you can you can decide okay Honka's part of our future and go Klingberg Johns uh, Klingberg Klingberg uh, Johns Honka down the right side or you can decide okay we've got Darlene Heiskinen has played on the right side for a lot of his career we're gonna go we're gonna go Darlene Heiskinen together on a pair next year and that becomes a pairing that is extremely fun to watch for a long long time yeah that's um that's a pipe that dream that is a very good pipe dream but. <laughs> anyway, so now I'm, I have like 12 different scenarios playing out in my head right now. So let's go back to Val because I completely agree okay. with the fact that expecting him to come back and be a huge top six guy next year is fallacy. And I get that mm-hmm. Russia is weird and it doesn't like KHL stats don't necessarily translate to the NHL very well, but he was mediocre at best in the KHL this year. He was also he was also mediocre on one of the best teams in the KHL. Right. The reason KHL the reason KHL stats are hard to judge sometimes 
is because there is such a haves and haves nots disparity. As some people claim on Twitter it's rigged. I don't know the answer to that. That's a debate for another day. Um, but there's such a haves and haves nots disparity in the KHL. So you can be on a really bad team and be a good player, but not have a lot of points. Yeah. Uh, when you're on one of the teams that Val is on, which is one of the two teams that have a ton of money, and you should be putting up a lot of points. His numbers should have been better. Now, numbers aren't the only thing I know that, but I don't think the KHL numbers are weird argument defends him in this now, case. It actually goes against him. Also in his defense, though, he was fourth on his team in points, and he played. And the team he played for, it's, they allowed... I'm trying to do math here. This looks like 83 goals in 60 games. So that looks... That's... Their two goaltenders had, had one guy had a goals against average of one three one, and the other guy had a goals against average of one five one. Combined save percent like nine thirty six. That's a guesstimate. They were both over nine thirty four. So that was. It, it sounds like they were maybe a little bit more defensive minded than run and gun. But, but anyway, uh, he had, uh, anyway, uh, no. Okay, 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 okay. I still he had twenty eight points in fifty four. Hold on, fifty two games. So I mean, that's not a. Against that's our. I don't. I, I don't. It's it, it's easy to say you're defensive minded when you always have the puck. Fair. <laughs> he had 28 points this year. The leading scorer on his team. They co-led the team. Him, uh, some guy I've never heard of, and then Kaprizov, Minnesota's supposed up and comer, both had 43 points. So he wasn't like light years mm-hmm. behind, but at the same time, you, you were expecting him to come in and be a major contributor next year you'd like to have seen that maybe been a little higher yeah yeah i mean i think he can help next year but i don't think he's a godsend that people are hoping he'll be no i completely agree with that i feel like he i mean but at the same time and maybe i'm looking at it from a different point of view than some other people might be i feel like if he comes in and he just hits 40 points that's I mean, it's it's a it's a free forty points basically. Like it, if 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 we're sitting here and it's you can have Val come back and he puts up thirty five to forty points, or you can have Remyelli bouncing up and down and falling on the ice in the lineup again and put up ten points. What would you rather have? You'd obviously rather have Val. Yeah, I mean, my, so. my, my 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 one point Val's. I think and I I just keep saying it is I'm just tempering expectations. I'm trying to temper expectations because I think. There's there's what the expectation is and what reality is, and I think reality is still good, but the problem is it won't be good compared to expectation. Agreed, and I agree with that. And I I know some people will remember when he was here last time. He had the occasional burst where he looked absolutely dominant, but for the most part, he was just kind. Of, I mean, he was an 18 year old player. You know, they have stretches where mm-hmm. they disappear. I think the one yeah. thing that will help Val, assuming he comes back, is having Radulov on the team. I think that will help, yeah. Because last time he was, I mean, they had Gonchar for a minute and he was just putrid all year and they got rid of him halfway through the year. But, like, just when I was in Canada, when we were in Canada last month, like, even though Canada's literally not different from the United States at all, that's still weird being in a foreign country. Now just think, well, okay, this was weird because we were in Montreal and nothing is in English on these street signs. It's like they go out of their way to shove French at you, and it's the weirdest thing that I have ever seen. And, and, and some stuff is in English. There's a, a, actually there's a lot of stuff in English. I'm slightly over exaggerating, 
but we went through the metro and like all the ads were in French and it was really weird. Just imagine being a dude who speaks not, he did not speak great English when he came over here. And well, and the other, the other, the other thing too, is it's not like Russian. Um, it's not like Russian is a language where you have people, uh, where you look at street signs and it looks like English. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's, (laughs) and it, it's just in being the only guy of, Russian descent on your team. I'm sure he probably didn't know that many. I don't know if you knew that many Russians in Dallas. I don't know how many yeah. Russians there are in Dallas. I don't know what their Russian population looks like. Do you remember? Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I did this. Um, one thing that um, just on a quick touch on the Russian population. One of the reasons that uh, one of the reasons Sergei Zubov was hesitant about the trade to Dallas was the lack of a Russian population. Now that was not know that. 20, 20 something years ago, but there was way more of a Russian population um, in out east where he had played for most of his career. And so when the trade had happened for him to come to Dallas, one of the things that was hesitant about him was the lack of kind of a Russian community. Um, obviously, things ended up working out well, but um, so there is not the type of Russian population you might have in other cities. I'm, there, I'm sure there's more Russians than there were 20 years ago, but it's still a factor. Yeah, so having. Radulov on the team will help a lot. Plus, you have mm-hmm. Gurianov in the minors. I don't know if you're really going to make the team next year, but I mean, if he does, then you have that as well. So, a little bit better. Yeah, Gurianov's another guy. I would. I think uh, you asked about those trade scenarios. Gurianov is a guy that I would be willing to part with. In yeah, at this point, pool. at this point, yeah. if if he can mm-hmm. get you Mark Stone, yeah, yeah, completely. Um, Let's, uh, one thing that came out of yesterday that always comes out of exit interview day is the injury report. Um, the hey, more realistic... I actually, um, I do have one more question for you. Okay, okay, I'll um, let you, okay. And I don't remember who tweeted this out, but did you see Ryan O'Reilly's exit interview? I read the story. I didn't watch the interview. I didn't, but well, I didn't was, watch the interview. Uh, it, that was basically my question. Was, were you, yeah. you think uh, that's a guy Dallas targets? I think he'd... Uh, I think he'd fit. Seems like um, a guy who could use a fresh start. He looks like a guy who could use a hug is what he could use, but a fresh start would be seems, a nice second. He seems like he could use a fresh start, and this is something we're going to come up. He'd be a guy that'd be a lot easier to go chase if you had if you had true thoughts and plans of going LTIR with Hansel right away. Um, now, the Hansel situation, which I guess we'll go into our next topic, makes it interesting because you got a lot of money going to Hansel, and... Uh, if he's uh, going to be back, you got to figure out there is going. You got to figure out what role he's going to play. Uh, but to answer your question, I think Ryan O'Reilly would be a good fit for. I think that Ryan O'Reilly would be a good fit with a fresh start. Um, he uh, one thing. You know how many penalty minutes Ryan O'Reilly had this year? It's like four, wasn't it? Two. Yeah, unreal. He had one penalty. He had one penalty this year. The Stars need players that don't. The Stars need players that actually know how to use their control their sticks and not take high sticking penalties yeah. in the final two minutes of a game. Yeah, that would so be nice. he would he would help he would help in that alone. Not that, not that alone. Looking, he would help in that right away. Yeah, because then you know you're also looking at a guy who's played both wing and center in his career, so he can theoretically yeah. slide in and be a true number two center. Or you could put him on a wing if you're if you have designs of giving Radic Fox a, a bigger share of responsibility next year, and that would be a really good player to have on Radic Fox's line as well. Or even yeah. if you're looking to break up. That super line up top, you put maybe Ben with Radic Fox or Rhino with Riley on a line with Sagan and figuring something mm-hmm. out with that. But either way, it then kind of helps disperse, share the wealth a little bit between the offense that your lines are contributing. 
Yeah, I agree with that. That's a good one. Um, this actually segues well, because I mentioned Hansel. We go into the injury report, which kind of gives us a little bit more. Um, I talked to Hansel yesterday at a story run today. Um, Hansel had a spinal fusion. Basically, they took out a damaged disc, put a titanium disc into his back, and then basically put two screws into his back, a couple screws into his spine to help the healing process. Um, the stars have told us, and the stars and the team has talked quite a bit about it being, they say the surgery went well, and he's supposed to be skating back sooner than later, yada, yada, yada. Um, I talked to Hansel yesterday, and it's six to nine months. Um, he is six to nine months. He is in a spot where he's trying to basically, he's not thinking that far ahead. Um, so I don't know whether or not he's going to play another NHL game. He's hopeful that he will. The stars are hopeful that he will. Um, but he's a, his actual recovery is going to be fat is going to be, have a fascinating factor on this coming season because, um, even no matter how well the surgery went, he's still a 31 year old. And I wrote this a couple times in my story today. He's still a 31 year old that just had spinal fusion and had his third career back surgery and only played 38 games last year. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, I feel like there is a very real chance he never plays a national hockey of any sort of hockey game again. That's not beer league. Um, even that might be pushing it a little bit. I don't know, but, um, yeah. So I, it's one of those things that I feel like the injury itself is not career ending, but given the greater set of long-term risk, right. Given, and also given the fact that it's his third surgery, that we have a little bit more data to work with here, that like the the accumulation of it could certainly play a role. So the other, the the other thing too, that if you're Hansel and you think about his, he's made, he's made good money in his career. Um, I don't know how, I don't know how good of an accountant he has. I don't know how well he's invested. Um, but he's got money to live for the rest of his life. Um, if you're looking at you're 30 years old and you, in theory, have... What's the average lifespan? You're the one in medical school or done medical studies. What's the average lifespan now? 85? Mm, for a white male, I think it's like 78 to 82 or something like that. Okay, so we'll use 80 as a round number. And you technically still have 50 years left of your life, roughly. Maybe more. Maybe less. Um is one more season of the NHL worth not being able to bend down and pick up your grandkids 15 years from now? Well, he's already going to have problems bending down if he's missing a disc in his lower back. Um. Yes, but I mean, it's the the type of thing, is one season of the NHL going to be worth that for when you look at his quality of life for the rest of his life? That's not my decision to make. That's Martin Hansel's decision to make. But it's, it's an interesting decision where someone... I'm sure that's a conversation that pops into his head. Well, right, especially since I'm assuming that his contract was fully guaranteed. So he's going to be making this money regardless of whether or not he plays. Uh, well, it's, it depends on the... If he retires before the third year, he doesn't get the third year. Or if he was to retire this summer, he wouldn't get the money. But basically what could happen is he could go into this season still hurt, go on LTIR, the contract's fully insured, he would get paid this year and then probably officially retire um or the stars could do there's there's a number of different ways it could bend up but I'd basically imagine he, that he, if, i imagine if he is retiring he's going to pronger it and quote unquote he'll be retired but he won't actually announce the fact that he's retiring yes that's that's the smart way to retire and that's probably what he would do so 
Um, so so I want that'll be something yeah. to keep an eye on, though. Keep an eye I'm, on. I'm very, I'm very interested with how this is going to play out. The other injury factor too, just as uh, we touched on it much earlier, is um, so we found out Ben Bishop's injury was a sprained MCL. Um, he came back too early. No one will admit that, but I think we can all agree he came back too early. Um, he shouldn't have played. I mean, he made a great, and it was kind of a freak accident on the save where it happened, where he re-injured it, but he was more likely to be in a freak accident by coming back that early. Um, I mean, he's a guy who we asked, uh, we asked yesterday, I asked yesterday whether, how close Bishop would have been to playing again, and they said he may, he may have been ready for the first round, and I think even that would have been too early if he had come back then, so, um, He's another guy what was, who. What did they describe it as? His the MC his MCL came off of his bone. Part of it got ripped off the bone, yeah. Which yeah, so the MCL is weird, and I don't yeah. know. I know you messed up your knee, so I don't know yeah. if they, how how much they explained the knee to you when you went in for your surgery. But basically, the MCL is a thickening of your joint capsule on your the inside of your knee. So it's not like a ligament in the sense where you picture a ligament kind of coming off. It's literally just the joint capsule that's thicker. So mm-hmm. it coming off like that is not good, but that's something that can happen to a goalie because you're consistently putting that force, that inside force on the inside of your leg, which can cause that to do that. So if that's not fully healed, that is always a risk of happening. Yeah. So he needs a uh, long, he's someone who could benefit from a long off season and, uh, and recovery there. Um, Essa Lindell, um, couple uh nagging injuries for Essa Lindell as well um Essa didn't want to disclose what they were but for what for that reason he's not going to go to world championships he turned down a um, invitation to world championships um and that doesn't surprise me I think Essa kind of a I think he hit a wall for minutes played and b I think he's been laboring with something for about the final 15-16 games of the season anyway um so he's a guy who could benefit from a long off season um um, other than that, there's some bumps and bruises, but nothing major. There's no major surgeries as of we know of about right now. So it'll be, it'll, it's interesting. It, I guess that's a, I guess that's one of the good things to come out of this is the people who are, uh, there's no hidden, there's no big announcements of, Hey, Jimmy Ben's having double hip surgery or something like that. That came out of, uh, Dude, speaking of ago. double hips, did you hear about Sean Monahan? I did not hear about Sean Monahan. He's having he had like wrist surgery. He had both hips done, and I think he had a knee too. Like all of that? All of that. Unreal. Wow. wow. I don't remember if the knee was the last one, but I'm 100 percent confident that I heard at least wrist and double hip, and that there was at least one more in there too. Wow. It's not that's the a... dude. The dude's younger than I am. I'm only 26, and he. That's, that's bad. That is bad. That's 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 uh. That's rough. That's going to hurt later in life. Yeah, uh, one of the girls in our class already has, like, double arthritis in her knees. And Oof. she's, like, 23. I'm like, dude, enjoy Oof. the new knees that you're going to need in, like, 10 years. Oof, that's rough. Oh. Well, the, uh, let's see, what else What else do we have on our list for today's episode? Anything else? Um, I am curious. In okay. The thing that I texted you the other day that you never texted me back about. What did you text me? I'm just I'm curious as to who I I feel like this is a conversation that Stars fans have all too often is who they're rooting for in the playoffs. Who are you rooting for in the playoffs? What are you rooting for in the playoffs? I should say. Um, well, not really rooting for any particular team. Um, 
based off the uh, based off uh, my uh, my player pool, the deeper the Boston Bruins go, the better I have a chance of winning some money at the end of the. Uh... <laughs> See, that's a good thing to root for. Yes, Literally, very good thing to root yes. for, and I can respect that. Um, so based off the uh, so based off that, I think the uh, I also think the Bruins. Right now, I guess we can kind of do a quick touch on that. Um, first off, what I'm rooting for is I think it would be uh, I think it'd be cool to see Colorado. Um, I don't think they're going to, but I think it would be cool to see Colorado continue to progress. Um, to see them win around, to see them beat Nashville would be be really fun to see after them having such a bad season last year. Um, I'd I'd like to see. Uh, it's always it's always it's always fun to see a team that hasn't won the cup win before. So that's something you always root for, and um, just kind of root for an overall quality of hockey, I guess. Um, there's no there's not really one team to me that sticks out um, right now. It's just I think uh, having Boston make a run is the best for uh, for both bragging rights and my wallet right now. So that would be nice. <laughs> that's good. That's see that's a, that's exactly um, what I was looking for. I do think uh, we can go. I don't want to go round by round, but um, right now, if I'm making my pick, my pick going into the playoffs, and I'll probably put this on Twitter tomorrow or before the fir- first puck dro- starts tomorrow, so I'll probably put it out there tomorrow. Um, I'll probably uh, my pick for the final is Nashville versus Boston. That's what I. That's who I. That's my pick for the finals. Um, and uh, I don't know who who do you have in the finals. See, I feel like at West. It's going to come down to whoever wins the Winnipeg-Nashville second round series, which is super presumptuous of me to just say that that's going to be a series. But I feel like those are the two; it's, those are the I class mean, of the West. They they are the class of the West, and I, I feel like you can make an art. You can make a pretty good case. I, I feel like you can make a pretty good case for just about anybody other than Colorado, and that's no disrespect to Colorado. I just no, it's like not Nashville's yeah. that good. Yeah, I would love to see Colorado make it that far because mm-hmm. I think like like I, like you just said, I like seeing new blood. Yeah. I am rooting for teams. Well, first off, I have a special rooting interest because for the first time in my life, my hometown team is in the playoffs. And that's pretty freaking cool. And I got my, my William Carlson jersey from China came in the mail yesterday, so I'm all ready to go for tomorrow <laughs> night. But um, I, I legitimately feel like you can make a case for any. Like Anaheim and L.A., have both been playing pretty well lately. I mean, Vegas is obviously a dangerous team. They've kind of been sputtering since their hot start a mm-hmm. little bit. But obviously, you have Mark. You have a three-time Stanley Cup winner. Yeah, he's won three. Flurry's won three cups, right? Uh, three cups, yes. Or he's been part of three cup teams because last year was a little bit more murky or whatever. Well, he's but, still he's still won three Stanley Cups. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, anytime you have that net, it's obviously a huge advantage in your favor. I mean, San Jose made a run last year, so they're dangerous. But I just. The, Nashville is expect the big question about Nashville last year was Pecorine, and he's been probably their best player this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and we've we've had some interesting chats about Pecorine on this podcast before. Yeah, I, I feel like at the beginning of the season we said he was the worst goalie in the Central Division, and look at what happened. And yeah, yeah, he's a. Uh, I have not been, and I Pecorine has proven me wrong this year. I have been someone who has been a Pecorine detractor in the past, I admit that, but obviously I can say nothing negative about his season this year. He's been tremendous. Yeah, and then out east, I mean, you have the top of that conference is so good. 
and it's kind of a travesty that one of Toronto and Boston is going to, that's going to be a fun ad. There's so, I am so pumped for the East playoffs because you have Toronto, Boston, Pittsburgh, Philly, you have Washington won their division and they're playing a backup goalie in the first round against Columbus who made the playoffs for the second consecutive year for the first time in their franchise history with arguably the Vesna trophy winner playing in goal. And then you got the New Jersey Taylor Halls that kind of snuck into the playoffs because Taylor Hall just was unreal this year. He's making the playoffs for the first time ever. It's just playing Tampa Bay, who mm-hmm. very well could be the best team in the East. Yeah. This in play- the NHL. This playoffs, the Eastern first rounds are tremendous. The second round, everyone's, I think the round that I'm going to be glued to every second of is that Winnipeg Nashville series in the second round. Um, Every game that they played this year was tremendous. I mean, but even if you look at even if you look at the, the matchups in the West, you have the Battle of California between Anaheim and LA mm-hmm. or Anaheim and San Jose. Yep. LA's playing the closest team to them other than Anaheim. Anaheim. Yeah. You have a really interesting matchup between Winnipeg and Minnesota and then Nashville against Colorado. I just this I think we are going to be spoiled by the first round playoffs matchups yeah. this year. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good it's gonna be fun to watch. Um, it's unfortunate it'd be more fun to watch in person, but obviously that's something that doesn't happen down here. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's uh, yeah, I, I like my Nash. I I'm going Nashville Boston because I think Nashville is going to get by Winnipeg in that second round, um, and then I think uh, I for me I know Boston end up. Losing on the final day, so Tampa had the best te- had the best record in the East. But I just loved what Boston did, even when they were hurt and when their depth stepped up. Um, hint, hint: younger players can step up and actually help a team. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, who to thunk it? And I mean, Boston's going to be. Think about who who is Boston. So say Rick Nash when Rick Nash comes back for Game One. Who does Boston scratch for Game One? I saw I. This was speculation, but I saw them saying that it's very possible Ryan Donato's not even in the lineup, and he's been phenomenal since he joined that team. He's got to be in. He's on my team. Um. <laughs> See, the, thing, <laughs> the thing with Boston, though, that is that kind of gives me pause. I mean, that kind of really gives me pause about them, Toronto, or Tampa Bay. Are you going to pick on Tuca? No, I'm not kidding, Tuka, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I mean, I'm like kidding. The, 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 the toughest thing about those three is that they have to play each other. Assuming ta- assuming Tampa Bay takes care of New Jersey, which I feel like they should. It, okay, if we're saying that Boston is, and theoretically in this scenario, they're tough. Arguably, if they're going to play Nashville in the final, they will already. I mean, they'll be battle tested. But how worn are they going to be having to go against the two best teams other than them in the East in the first two rounds? Yeah, well, I mean, the same thing. You could argue the same thing. Depending, you could argue the same thing for Nashville, just because I think. Na- That's true. Nashville is going to get a really tough Winnipeg team, and if uh, whoever, if it's not Vegas, if it's not Vegas, and I think Vegas has a chance to meet reach the Western Conference Finals, but if it's not Vegas, whoever they play is physically beats people up. Anaheim, LA, and San and San Jose, they all beat people up. So both whoever makes it to the final is still going to be beaten up. 
that's the, that's the, that, people that, up. But I think that the way, just the way Nashville plays now, especially the last couple of years with the guys that David Poyle has been able to acquire, I feel like Vegas is the worst matchup for them because of their speed. Yes, I feel yes. like Nashville can just outspeed any of the California teams. Yes, no, and that's that's actually why I think Vegas has a good chance of making it that deep is because I think it depends on what Vegas gets roped into. Um, I mean, I think I think that. I think that LA Vegas series is going to be fascinating because I think it's going to be the, who is able to dictate the tone will really determine who wins that series. Because if Vegas gets pulled into anything with, with LA where LA, they let LA bully them around, then it could be a long series for Vegas. Other than that, Vegas should win that series. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. So. Um, my thing though, with bot, I, cause I forgot this part too. Cause if you look at, well, let's look at Nashville for a second. And like I said, this is not to disrespect Colorado whatsoever because they have some really great players on that team, namely Nathan McKinnon, mm-hmm. Miko Rantanen. I didn't realize how good Rantanen was this year. He's a good player. Yeah. He was phenomenal. Um, but I feel like that should be a pretty easy five, maybe six-game win at worst for Nashville. Winnipeg is going to be – that series would be an all-out war. Yeah, That would – it's just going to be so much fun to watch. So I really hope that – as much as I would like Colorado to beat Nashville, because I think that'd be cool, I really hope that Colorado and Minnesota don't ruin that for me. But then you get to the Western Conference Final, and I mean, you're going to be playing a good team, but it's not going to be, if you're you're looking at Boston, they feasibly will have to go through Toronto, Tampa Bay, and then Pittsburgh before they even get there. Yeah. That's brutal. You have to win brutal games to get the twin of the Stanley Cup. That's that's, that's, true. that's the fact that's of it. True. That's the fact of it. That's true. Um, and that's the other reason that brings us back to I guess a good segue is what did the stars not who did the stars not win games against this year? Good playoff teams, and that yep. needs to change because if they want to be a contender, and every year it seems like they it's every year they seem to draw us in, and um, I've been guilty of it as well. They always draw us in by when they win the off season and it draws people in and people are like, Oh, they're going to be a contender this year. It doesn't happen. So, um, I don't really have any other point other than that. It's just, yeah, that's where my train of thought goes for a while now. That's where my train of thought goes. Uh, um, this is, I guess to close yeah. this point, um, I don't know if anybody else knows this. I don't know if anyone's ever done research on it, but I would be interested to see what the highest combined like the team among Stanley Cup winners what their highest point killed total was does that make sense like the between the four teams that they beat to win the Stanley Cup what the most combined points of those teams was yeah that's that's similar to uh it's like I was going through uh I don't know I don't know about the point killed point yeah I don't know I yeah I don't know about the point killed total but like I remember when I was doing my research for my book and I was going through uh the year the Stars won the cup in 99 where um Belfort beat three Hall of Famers in the uh, beat three Hall of Famers in the beat three Hall of Famers head to head to win the Stanley Cup. And before he played the first Hall of Famer, he played Curtis Joseph, who is probably a not a Hall of Famer, but when Cujo was good, Cujo was one of the best in the world. Um, just wasn't that way for his entire career. Um, so I kind of similar to talk about Giants slaying. That's I understand what you're saying there. And, I mean, I get that there's 16 teams in the playoffs and they're all 90-plus point teams, but if we're talking 
I'm just, I don't know why I keep harping on this Boston point right now, but assuming Boston goes through Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh, and then Nashville and wins the Stanley Cup, that is, I'm not going to do math right now because I'm going to butcher, but Toronto's got 105 points, Tampa Bay has 113, Pittsburgh has 100 even, and then Nashville has 117. So we're talking well into the 130s, 430s here. That's a lot of points. So that's, that's, that is a ton of points. Well, yeah, but it, it'll be fun to watch. We'll see what happens. Um, I think we'll. Uh, I think for now we'll set to. We'll probably wait to record until something happens. Um, I was gonna say, are we? This is annoying that we're doing the same thing as the, in the two-year history of this podcast. Our off-season plan is let's adjourn until something happens. Yeah, so, so we'll adjourn until something happens. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, the stars started making moves. If you remember last year, I think the Bishop trade was around like May 4th or 5th. So um, we'll see what happens. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. Um, I know we had a couple questions on Twitter, but I know we already touched on what people asked. Um, so thank you for those who uh, have listened, and uh, we'll be back soon enough.